What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Fierce, Favored, and Spiritually Grounded. I'm your life coach and host, Tanya Williams. Ooh, I got a good one for you guys today. Um, so today, the episode is going to be about what does the Bible say about women in ministry? And for years, um, I know that I have been called to preach And I've always heard that, you know, women should not be leaders in the church or they always refer to 1 Timothy 2 and 12 more times than I can count how women should not um, teach men. And that's always the go-to scripture. But I've dug a little bit deeper to kind of prove this wrong. Y'all know I dance to the beat of my own drum. And sometimes when you, you know you're called to do something, then you need to be able to find biblical ways to defend that. So, I've um, I've looked in and found um, 10 reasons or 10 places in the Bible that talks about women in leadership. So, we're going to talk about that today. And, you know, interesting, if you go to 1 Timothy 2, 12, three verses earlier, Paul is telling women not to wear gold, pearls, or expensive clothes, and men not to use anger, which I've never heard any of these preached in a sermon before. So that's why when we're reading, it's so important to always read above and beneath of what you're looking for or you're reading, because sometimes we just pick out the parts that we want, and that's not really fair. So, you know, I've heard so many different reasons why women couldn't pastor because, you know, we're too emotional or, you know, we might tempt men with our bodies. We can't handle the workload or our voice is too soft and elegant. And really, I'm just going to be honest. Um, I think I think it's very sexist. So let's just pretend that, you know, for a moment, that scripture is not really about sexism, and I really think that's the root of the issue, but the Bible has more to say about women in leadership positions than is often preached. So, without that little exception of 1 Timothy passage, the the biblical narrative about women leadership is really pretty positive. So, we're going to, like I said, I'm going to give you 10 examples of where they talk about this. The first one is in uh, Romans 16, 7, where it's um, really talking about how women are outstanding amongst the apostles. So, the following women often get overlooked, but even though they don't really have long stories about them, there are still leadership roles that's recorded in the Bible about them. So, first of all, there's Anna uh, that was a prophet in Luke 2.36, along with four daughters of Philip, who was also prophesied. That's in Acts 21.9, if you want to read up on it. But a prophet is really the biblical sense of a true tiller delivering God's message to the world. So, in other words, he's a preacher. Uh, so, a preacher can um, really pack a punch. And there's also uh, uh, Phoebe, who was a deacon in Romans 16.1. Um, Priscilla, along with her husband, is someone Paul names as a co-worker in Christ, and that's in Acts 18. Um, Priscilla really teaches Apollos, a learned man with a thorough knowledge of Scripture, despite his considerable expertise. Priscilla is able to explain the way of God more um, adequately to him and to express um, really no dismay at her gender. In many of the passages, um, she mentioned uh, Priscilla named 
is listed before her husband's, which is noteworthy because in culture that usually placed the husband's name first. But that to me suggests Priscilla rather than Aquila was the leader of the particular couple. So, uh, so far the women in scripture are defying what, uh, you know, people on a landslide, um, and we're just really getting started here. So, the second one is Luke 24, 9. They told us all these things. You know, did you know that the very first Christian preachers were all women? In all four Gospels, women were the first to learn of Christ's resurrection when he appears to them. And they were the very first people to share the news with others. So, depending on which Gospel you read, the first proclaimer is either um, Mary in Mark 16, 9 through 10, and John... I think it's 20, 17 through 8. But Mary Magdalene and other Mary um, or um, Jonah and others, the first time the story of the resurrection is told is proclaimed by women. So if women had kept silent in the church, there probably would not be a church. So number three, um, John 4, 39, because of the women's testimony. You know, we usually know her as the woman at the well. But I prefer to think of her as the woman who abandoned her water jar, you know. But because of her talking to Jesus, um, the living water in John 4, 28 reports that she left her jar behind to tell people about Jesus. So she left behind what she came to the well to do because she found more important work. And shortly thereafter, the text reports that many Samaritans believed in Christ because of her testimony. And that's in 439. But really, that's the demonstrating that she was quite an effective evangelist. You know, the conversation Jesus has with her in John 4 is the longest recorded conversation Jesus has with anybody. So why would Jesus spend all that time talking theology with a woman that he didn't want her to tell anybody about? You know, he doesn't uh, reprimand her for leaving the jar or, you know, her woman's work behind. But instead, he encourages her spiritual pursuits and questions then and welcomes those she leads him to. Number four, Judges 5, 17. So this talks about how Deborah arose. You know, so far I've mentioned the New Testament women, but there's an absence of strong women in the Hebrew scriptures. Deborah, for example, is named the Hebrew scripture as both prophetess and judge. The people come to her for words from God. She leads, directs, and guides them. And, you know, nobody seems to really object based on her gender. In fact, in Judges 5, Deborah leads the people in song after leading them to victory in battle. She sings, they held back until I, Deborah, arose, until I arose, a mother of Israel. You know, without her leadership, the people would not fight their own behalf. So, our English transitions call her Deborah, wife of, um, I can't hardly say his name, Lepidadoth. Um, But the phrase could also be translated a woman of Lepidodoth. So nothing there uh, she is from, not who she's married to. um, And his name means Torch. So it's possible that the phrase uh, woman of Labidoth means Deborah is a fiery woman, which is like an ancient, um, you know, descriptor, you know. Number five. Uh, 2 Kings 22, 11 through 20, and it's also in 2 Chronicles 34, 14 through 33. Um, you know, for some reason, Hulda um, is always overlooked by the men who say women can't teach. Though in her own day, she was anything but invisible. Her story goes uh, 
King Josiah's men were cleaning out the temple when they discovered a scroll of the book of the law given by Moses. Josiah asked several men, including the high priest, to go, you know, inquire for the Lord um, about the contents of the scroll. Who did all these important men seek out for answers from God? And it was Hulda, a woman. You know, it's really worth noting that um, Hulda was married, but, you know, they went to her, not her husband, uh, which for the record made perfect sense, seeing how it was able to, um, you know, he was a prophet and he was a keeper of royal wardrobe. But it's also worth noting that Hulda was a contemporary of male prophets. Um, The king's men had lots of great options and they chose her. She doesn't just instruct men. Um, men seek out instruction. So if the kings of Judah wasn't afraid to listen to a woman, why should we be? Number six. Okay, it's in Exodus fifteen twenty. Um, this this talks about um, Miriam. She was the first person in Hebrew scripture to have named a prophet, and that's in Exodus fifteen twenty. Um, you know, when I say that, I don't mean she was the first woman named as a prophet. She was the first prophet, period. You know, furthermore, Moses would never have led uh, the exodus of the Israelites if there, if it wasn't for his sister, Miriam. Um, she kept watch over his basket in the river and ensured her baby brother was cared for. If it wasn't for his mother, if it wasn't for two Hebrew midwives... And if it wasn't for Pharaoh's daughter, then later his wife's support saved his life again. And if it wasn't for women delivering him over and over and delivering um, of the Hebrew people, he wouldn't be around. And number seven, Esther 7-3. Oh my gosh, these, these are just so good to me. So Esther once saved the entire Jewish people from slaughter, which is hardly a minor accomplishment. You know, easily swayed by... Um, the petty and the vengeful desires of one of uh, his esteemed nobles named Haman. Um, he signed a law ordering that a massacre of the Jewish people had it not been for the bold intervention of Queen Esther, many people would have perished for no logical reason at all. So, you know, I would like to really just challenge anybody who says women are too emotional to be leaders and take a look into how powerful men in the book of Esther, you know, Haman and the the king, then, you know, they look at two powerful women in, in the story, Queen Esther and Queen Vashati. Vish, uh, uh, it, tells, it tells me that the gender acts according to uh, the whim of emotional charge and, you know, which gender acts methodically and reasonably. So, we have to really ask ourselves, which gender acts with appropriate restraint in which gender is gender is out of control um look at it though you know which gender is motivated by self-interest and which gender demonstrates a concern for integrity and the safety of the people you know it's really no contest the women in in this case um undoubtedly win the show and you know sometimes i wonder if that's because we're natural um caregivers or we're that's just how we're built. But anyway, so number eight, y'all, we're almost finished, um, is in Numbers eleven twenty nine. Technically, let, uh, Numbers 11 is about two men, but I can't leave out this story because 
it's just so relevant. In the story, the Spirit of God falls upon these 70 elders who start prophesying inside the tent um, of a meeting. But Eldad and uh, Midad, they start prophesying and camp outside the tent. That's um, outside the approved perimeter. So Moses' assistant Joshua gets really worked up about this unauthorized preaching and rushes to find Moses. So I guess he, you know, he was just going to tell on him or whatever. But it says, my Lord, stop them. He demands, but Moses responds like this. Would, um, would the, all that the Lord's people be prophets and God put his spirit on all of them? You know, and think about it. How beautiful is that? Presumably, you know, when Moses says he wishes all people were prophets, that includes women. So since every own sister Miriam was God's first prophet, you know, would that all God's people be prophets like Eldad, like uh, Medad and Miriam? So, you know, the man I mentioned who talked out of church um, or, or, you know, how people... um, you know, I always talk about how women shouldn't be pastors and stuff like that. So I wonder if they've, they've um, ever read that part. <laughs> but number nine, in Acts 2-4, Pentecost Sunday is the day God's Spirit pours out upon everybody. And on Pentecost, Peter quotes the prophet Joel saying, In the last day, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, and young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. And that's Acts 2, 17 through 18. And, you know, I've heard that a lot in church. And um, sometimes I, I hear that that's the women's a verse or scripture to go to to stand on but first the chapter of acts is clear that they who gathered included women in acts 1 14 so there's no really reason to think um that when the second chapter of acts reports they were all together in one place and all of them were filled with the holy spirit we begin to speak in tongues and women were suddenly no longer present which brings us to the last one is number 10 luke uh 146 you know, and and finally, while the list could go on and on, I rest my case with the blessed Mother Mary. I mean, I I can't imagine any better argument for women ministers in all of Scripture than Mary, who quite literally bore the the Word made flesh in her own body and gave birth to Him. And, you know, she carried God around um, in her belly, or Jesus around in her belly, and labored to get you know, the good news out of her womb to the world. And it's not an accurate description of preaching, but um, I, I really don't know how to explain it or what it is, but she let love grow within her. You know, she she took care of him. And, you know, in addition to just how she embodied him, she was ushered the good news into the world. And she also prophesied in Luke 1, offering now in, you know, the king, um, or the known as the magnis- magnific- ma- Magnificent, um, you know, I- I'll just conclude by here by saying that occasionally um, people attempt to argue that, you know, female leaders, disciples, preachers, deacons, prophetess, whatever, in scripture is proof that God in- intended those positions to be for men as if Precious few women got, you know, their gig only because the men um, wouldn't take the job or, you know, 
they wasn't supposed to. But the fact that any woman at all were leaders, disciples, preachers, teachers, whatever, in the midst um, of society that didn't value an equal contribution to proof of God's call on women could really um, be deterred, even in culture that didn't really accept women's gifts. So um, I, I think these were great examples of women in ministry. And, um, you know, women usually have always played in the... I guess the um, behind the scenes to men in the Bible and things like that. But really, it's the women in the Bible to me that's really delivering the gospel. And, you know, women have a way of teaching and doing things so many times without sometimes even speaking a word. And um, just those scriptures and verses that I gave you today as examples show that. I mean, in the day that where they were prophets and things like that, back then, if Jesus found them worthy, then why can't man find them worthy today? And I do really believe that it's a man's world. Um, it's getting better, you know, as far as women preachers and teachers and things like that. Um, they're uh, getting a little more uh, respect and they're getting a little more airtime. So, you know, and things like that. But um, we still have a way to go. So I just encourage you, if you feel like that you've been called by God, um, to really just reflect on some of those uh, scriptures and maybe dig a little bit deeper into them and look into it. Um, I believe we're all made for a purpose. And if God didn't put it in you, um, if he put it in you, he put it in you for a reason. So sometimes, you know... um, Some people are just made to be world changers. It may be you and your voice and your sound and your anointing that really changes um, the trajectory of the nation or your area or your territory or whatever it is. So don't be afraid of of what people say because you're a woman that you can't do this and you can't do that. Now, I'm not one of these liberals who go burns their bras and all that and says, hey, I can do anything a man can do because I know that's not so. But when it comes to things like this, it's a little bit different to me because I believe, like I said, um, none of us would do it out of our own will. The anointing comes straight from God. So anything that he gives us to do, he gives us the power to do it and it's through him. He gives us the words to say in our mouth and um, things like that. So we can point people to him and give him all the glory. At the end of the day, it's not about us. It's not about what's in our might or strength or what we do. It's just, will we do it? And so um, as I researched this and dug a little bit deeper, it just kind of made me excited because I've never really looked at some of the women in the Bible like I do now. And um, it's kind of given me that reassurance, especially like the woman at the well. Everybody thought she was... um, for t- for for day- terms as today, they really thought she was a hoe because she had five men. None of them were her wife, uh, her husband, and things like that. So they they expected him to judge her, but he really didn't. You know, he had that long conversation, and again, it was the longest conversation reported in the Bible. And why would he waste his time on somebody like that if he didn't have a purpose for her? He knew that she would go back and she would tell and testify and things like that. But that's, I think that's what it's all about. It's all about us sharing our life experiences with somebody else to help somebody. Because one thing about purpose is, 
um, it's supposed to bless somebody else. It's not just supposed to bless you, but it's supposed to bless or help somebody else. And so when God gives, puts purpose in us, it's, it's to bless them and it's, it's to, um, you know, point them to him once again. So anyway, I hope you guys enjoyed this, um, episode and what does the Bible say about women in ministry. I really enjoyed researching it and looking it up. And again, thank you guys so much for always just rocking with me. If you've not checked me out, check me out on Instagram at spiritually underscore grounded or I'm on Facebook at Tanya Williams Life Coach. Um, Don't forget to go to Amazon and check out my new book, The Best Version of Me. Um, Later in the fall, hopefully November-ish, we will start launching that small group. Um, If you're interested in that, feel free to email me at tanyawilliams01 at gmail.com and I can give you some more um, information on that. But we'll be launching that small group off of that book. Um, But I have created a workbook called The Best Version of You. And we will walk through, it's going to be about six weeks, and um, we're just going to deliver you from some bondages, and we may even have a conference afterwards. So um, anyway, so I look forward to that. Um, Just teaching and leading a small group is one of my biggest passions because I love, I know what it did for me, and I love to see other women who is just healed and whole. So um, I look forward to that. So I look forward to talking to you guys until next time.